Some say he's a technical whiz. Some say he was born in Cornwall. While some say he's on a journey. It's the journey. And here's your host, David Hackett. We join another journey, and today's journey is with a former drug addict turned inspirational artist. They also self-taught themselves as a musician. They are a master-trained painter, author of 37 novels and short stories in the horror thriller genre, as an owner and CEO of independent multimedia production company, and they also host the podcast of both The Strange Places and No Disclosure Podcast, which no doubt is available on most podcast platforms. And we not only made it past the Fable 10 episode on as it's described, but we are well into multiple seasons with both shows and not slowing down. And they have extensive experience in audio engineering and mixing as well as marketing and running business as an indie artist. They believe they would be great guests today because they have a quite storied and struggled past and the adversity overcome to be here today doing what they do. So we join Billy Dean Shumate the Bird. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. That's a short summary. Now, obviously, it'll be shared in the bio below or where in wherever it's shown when I edit later. But everyone has a journey. Everyone's journeys where, and I always keep saying everyone's journey is unique. And I always like asking, where does your journey begin? And to make the joke, yes, everyone. And uh, my grandmother was a master painter so i was always surrounded by music and art that was always everywhere when we were growing up and it was always encouraged so you know growing up there was always um uh, you know bass guitar in the middle of the room and a drum set that was accessible and you know it was uh it was very encouraged pretty pretty cool childhood in that respect <laughs> yeah and that is a good childhood that any child would say, yeah, I like drums, I like music, because ch- children like that sort of thing, because it's loud, destructive, but loud, because, you know, when you're young, you don't have any rhythm, unless you really talk really young, but you have right. got rhythm, but when you're young, they just, you know, you could boom, no rhythm to it. My mother told me that uh, for months, it was just, it was, yeah, because I, I, the drums was what I picked up. And I didn't start seriously playing until I was about 13, 14. And she said it was maddening for months because all you would hear upstairs is, dun, 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 dang it, dun, 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 crap, dun, 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 dang it, over and over and over. And then she said, you know, after about a year, it started sounding good. You know, it started sounding <laughs> musical. So she said, uh, you know, once you get, as a parent, once you get over that, that hump, you know, where you just want to bomb the entire upstairs. Then she said, yeah, start sounding musical and everybody downstairs, you know, <laughs> they start enjoying it. So when obviously teenage life came along and I don't know when your struggle started, but, you know, life changed, I assume, when you got older. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. Um, you, you, With your personal endeavors and your dreams and what you want to do it's cliche but it's true you got to find your why you know why are you pursuing the things that you're pursuing why are, why do your dreams exist 
And at the beginning, it was a pretty shallow why coming from a very long line of musicians and not starting until I was 13, 14. Uh, I always got the, well, your cousin plays the drums and I was always being compared to him. And why are you doing that? You're too old to start, you know, but why don't you do this or this? We already like, you know, uh, there couldn't be more than one drummer in the family, but it, it was a, a very desperate, very desperate need for acceptance, mm. which is a pretty shallow why. And it ends up crumbling pretty quick. And see, I'm, I'm originally from Southern California. We ended up moving to Iowa when I was 13. So that culture shock mixed with being a teenager mixed with that just desperate need for acceptance was a, a a pretty bad recipe to somebody who ended up uh not knowing he was clinically suffering from depression you know that i would find out much later it was a recipe for disaster uh started a band and you know the, the why the why propelled me in the beginning and it made me a very good player but like I said, it was you know pretty pretty shallow. Why? That's not a good foundation. It's going yeah. to crumble on you. <laughs> so, so obviously you're struggling, and I assume you were seeking validation for your own self at that age. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, I was getting it from very, very few people, and I developed a sense of animosity towards some family members that I was being compared to. And when that why crumbled and I had a chance to really sit down with that family member and he was encouraging, he was helpful. And for some reason, we played a lot like each other. <laughs> and <laughs> when those family members and those scoffers really started watching those first few concerts that me and the guys did back in the day, that was quelled pretty quick. They said, okay, he takes this you know, seriously. But that need for acceptance really never went away. And I suppose, well, I don't want to make excuses, but due to that fragile state of mind, being so young and being successful so fast, that's what, you know, started on that need of acceptance that you could mix it all together. That's what started a, a very, very serious drug habit. Yeah. And you were to tell the child and, you know, said, I've been there, done it, worn a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> One the t-shirt, and that's definitely it, that's definitely a cliche we would use. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's true, you know that those cliches exist for a reason. So, and, yeah, depression, obviously, because everyone has ways of dealing with depression. Being depressed and being on drugs, the drugs, obviously, you know now and you able to advise, but drugs taking didn't get rid of the depression it didn't get rid of the anxiety didn't get rid of the self-validation it made it more so i would imagine well any lack of what i've painstakingly learned over the years is any lack of focus a person has any lack of real success and drive it all comes from one thing at its root at the end of that funnel is fear that's the that's it that's what it all boils down to it would mask that fear and see, it's funny. I have two kids and when I tell them to stay away from drugs, I don't tell them don't do drugs because they're bad. 
I tell them don't do drugs because you will enjoy it so much that it will, nothing else will matter. It'll destroy and rule your entire life. You got to be honest with them, especially now the way things are. Mm. And that's what it did. It masked that fear for a time, but you know, that <laughs> whatever you're taking only lasts so long. And you get to the point where the other guys in the band, you know, you're being sent on a bus home and years later, you know, they have cars and houses and stuff like that. And what do I have? A lot of crazy stories, but nothing, you know, nothing worthwhile to show for it. Mm. Yeah, it, it it did mask things for a time. It, it, it hid the depression. But, man, once that wore off, you're faced with that fear again. And it's also a very daunting fear as well when you are not in the scenario of being in the mix of whatever you took because it's a reality that sinks in and you think oh my god yeah yeah it's a uh, it <laughs> as a as the highs wear off it's not like the reality just kind of so slowly slopes back in it crashes in through the window and that's why drug addicts who have undiagnosed mental disorders, they tend to go nuts on this stuff a lot quicker that I've noticed mm. than people who, I hate to say it this way, but get into drugs naturally. Mm. So it goes on to say about being a painter. So did painting come after being musically thought thinking or oh yeah much after much after that uh what ended the drug thing was after being kicked out of the band and starting a new one out of revenge and then finding out that the first band you know was so supportive and cool and again my why changed i wanted to make another band that would just slay these guys and the heck with them i don't have a problem they do and come to find out they were supportive. They were happy for me. They had no idea that I was killing myself. So things led to things and I had to leave. I was going to die. I had to leave Iowa. I had to get clean. I had to get out. And my uncle is a former drug addict. And he offered, uh, uh, he lived in Paducah, Kentucky, where I am now. And he offered me to stay with him and get clean and sober. And I ended up staying. I've been clean and sober since 2006. No uh, step program, no rehab, just being sick for six months and being couch ridden and bathed by my own uncle, uh, which is you know, deeply shameful and terrifying. But I tell people that because they've got, they got to know how dark this gets. Mm-hmm. And uh, still continued the music thing, reunited with the group. Things are going great. You know, I got married, I had kids, and then uh, things happen. People come and go out of your life, but me and her still get along great. And an, another tragedy struck, and this was something to which I was not the perpetrator, and it was weird for me because I had I was so used to causing all of these problems for myself and others. And when you're victimized, it, it was really difficult to deal with. This was only about a year ago. And my grandmother, it's a funny story. My grandmother 
it was always a rumor, rumor in our family. I'm not saying she was a liar, but uh, she always said she was trained by Bob Ross, the Bob Ross. And when I started getting my paintings in galleries and stuff, they I asked them to confirm that for me. Can you guys find a way to confirm this for real? Did was she trained by Bob Ross? And they said, yeah. Before he was on television, he would go around and do his classes, and my grandmother would follow him. My grandmother died of cancer a few years ago, and I was wheeled her brushes. I got so sick and tired of seeing those brushes sitting in the closet collecting dust. And, you know, I just started painting, and it turned into a saving grace for me. Very meditative, very, very cathartic. And I like that because obviously music's one way of relaxing, painting's another and then you change your hand into, and it goes into saying about author, 37 novels and short stories in the horror thriller genre. <laughs> so again, you went to another why. Yeah. Well, um, I know what it's like to almost lose your life. And that, that tightrope is dangerously slick. There's a guy that I used to run with that we used to buy stuff from. There was a, this was after I left Iowa. So the story is a bit apocryphal, but I got to see the result when I went back and visited one time. Rumor had it that he was mixing something with LSD in his kitchen and he had this big pot and his watch fell off. So he was so stoned and messed up at the time. This was a guy I used to hang out with. He was brilliantly smart drug addict, but brilliant human being, funny, great sense of humor, per awesome personality. His watch falls off and he reached into this pot of boiling stuff with LSD in it. I don't know how you make that stuff, but he reached his hand in there to grab his watch. And when I went to visit him in an assisted living facility, I don't know how many hits that guy took of LSD, but he doesn't know his own name. He can't dress himself. His personality is gone. He's completely fried. And that's not the only person that, and one of them, you know, one of the guys we used to run with is, um, you know, 20 years in prison, another one's dead. And I don't know, I, I, I kind of turned into one of those don't waste your life kind of cats because I, I, I was almost there. I, I always wanted to be a writer. And my whole life I've been told that's impossible, you know, with the drums, with the right, with everything. There was always, when I started writing, someone very close to me, verbatim said this, crushed me. I said, I want to write a novel. And this was somebody I loved and trusted. And verbatim what this person said was you're too dumb to write a grocery list and that was and like that, a big smack in the face it was and it hurt very badly i got an apology when the 13th novel came out <laughs> and, and i accepted it you know said oh, I'm, I'm remember when i said that and i was like yeah he goes i'm sorry I'm like, it's okay because that why started off as rage again a shallow why anger i've mm. noticed in my life that when the why changes, I have to do a lot of soul searching. So, because when the, yeah, when the why changes, that's very disruptive because you have to have one to have any degree of, of success. And now it's, it's uh, I don't know, writing, music, painting, they're different animals. And they help, they're mirrors at different angles. And you see different parts of your soul, you know, while you do them. And I always assume, and I see it in the way I see it, but when you're doing music, like you said, it's a mirror of yourself from one angle. When you're painting, 
you're seeing yourself from another angle. And when you're writing, you're seeing yourself from another angle. So you're using the three elements that people like, which is art, writing, music. And you've seen yourself three ways. And you're looking down on yourself on the three way, thinking, which way am I going to go out? Which way next? Because which other avenue can you go? Obviously, you're doing podcasts, you're doing videos properly, you know, you're doing things that you don't expect, but they're not immediately the three things that people would think of. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I guess it goes back to that. I take Don't Waste Your Life to the Extreme. I know that. <laughs> 40 novels, you know, multiple podcasts, YouTube channels, all that. But I just, when I got, clean and sober and in the clear i expected naively i suppose that i would be greeted by a world that was happy and full of life and look how great being sober is and come on join the club but all i saw were people that were utterly miserable stuck in situations and jobs that they hated not following their dreams and i just wanted to shake all of them and say do you know how fickle your life is do you know how how it can end like that not only that but do you know how things can change in an, in a second i just want to shake them and say no yeah your job shouldn't have all of you and your career shouldn't have all of you you, you know have some bravery chase what you want to do and i've always and done that and it's about as the latin expression goes carpe diem seize the seize day, the day. Seize them, yeah He's the day. And I always like saying that when people were in that sort of situation, I do say carpe diem because it is easy in the day. You've got to grasp every minute because you never know what's around that corner. Anymore. It's <laughs> it's an amazing feeling. And I I really want to make it my mission statement to show people this is possible. I know you're gonna get tired, you're gonna run into adversity. People are gonna tell you that things are impossible. But use that as a source of motivation. Do not give up ever, ever, ever. Yeah. And you're saying about podcasting and YouTube per se is it the same now. You know, you got to have that niche market to it, the right sort of thing. Because like you said, podcasting, YouTubing, yeah, back in the day when YouTube was starting, it was the in thing where everyone got into it and it was easy it was the to wild get. West. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. And it was getting, I'm not saying it is easy, but it was getting money easy. Nowadays, they make it so hard to get the right niche and you get the right peaks and troughs. And it's the same with podcasting. Podcasting, when it was first popularized, I think it was in 1997, I think it was, or something like that. I'm the first sure. podcast. It was uh, really ridiculous in the 90s, but, you know, podcasting does started as a commentary. Then it started getting popularized, and then people started dipping into it. And then nowadays, podcasting is easier because they've made it easier in certain places. Like I use Anchor, and I'm not promoted to say I use their product, but, Anchor's you know. Awesome. But Anchor's a good place to start if you want a podcast. And yes, you do start off slow, but if you maintain it, you do get yeah consistency. Yeah. You do get the right results. But exactly. 
you just got to find that niche still here you know they never cashed it in they never gave up they're still walking around yeah and so as i was saying this man i knew for well i knew him for 10 years and in that 10 years i helped him with his computer because he was te not technically minded he kept putting viruses on his computer he kept accessing <laughs> sites on his computer that he thought i wouldn't see and i'm like okay i know you access it but i'm not telling you he was you know i, I felt sorry for him because no one else gave him the time of day but when the opportunity at the radio station i was part of at this grant where they had money given to them to do interviews or a series of mini shows but it had to like that feature no music and i at the time i wasn't on air doing a radio show or anything i just said okay what about me just interviewing and i don't mind saying his name because he's no longer with us malcolm and everyone knew him as the phantom director because he was one of the old directors of the radio station and oh he was one of the one of the yeah the old cats i i, <laughs> I know those guys yeah yeah they were so, the real deal back then they were the yeah. real deal <laughs> and and everyone called him the phantom director because he was so slick he was so <laughs> you know you didn't expect him when you expected him he never was there but when you didn't expect him he was there. And yeah, so I, I kind of like a he's kind of like a ninja. Yeah. And Inkit went to a board meeting and it was brought up at Boardman. You know, David out me over this last summer, because obviously we were so fair while we was doing the you know, lifting the antenna, everything, because obviously we had to be prepared for X, Y, and whatever. And he's like, and he spoke to the you know program director he said i want david to have a radio show and i don't care if you don't want him on now i want him to do it because he's out me god knows how long and he recognized that passion you know yeah. he saw that in you that is infectious man it's infectious yeah and it just felt good because obviously i was back on the air you know a two-year gap i was i think i did cover a few shows but i wasn't a consistent person on there i wasn't my own show i wasn't david on there with and that's my show was called back in the day it was called lunchtime live oh i like that it's got a good ring to it yeah and it, because it was lunchtime it was live <laughs> And that was when it was on the internet. And, you know, I had that, the gaps where I covered for a few people, even though they, some people didn't want me to be on there. Like I said, the program director, he didn't want me on there. But I covered those areas. And then, obviously, the chairman spoke to the program director, and I had a show again. And I wanted to call it, I forgot what I called it, but I think in the end I had to go with his name because, obviously, the name I gave it originally fell excuse me into a category where it would have been linked with another radio show which was on a bigger radio station yeah, now i like the idea artist, i so, run into that all the time you name something and you have this killer name and then you find out that there's some band in los angeles that's called the same thing you know yeah I hate that. <laughs> so i think i think i wanted to call it the Rika ed because it was not on the end of the week as it was originally my show. It was now on a Monday, so it's the start of the week. So I wanted to call it the week ahead. I like that. 
Like now, that. that was catchy, but I couldn't use it. <laughs> <laughs> I dig the journey, though. It's, uh, you know, because I, I like your old past, present, future thing. And yeah. that is the best way. And you, you see the life up into one word journey. And you and you see the logo. It's like a motor in England is known as a motorway, which is your freeway. It's like a road with a bridge over it. Yeah, I was uh, I was stalking your podcast a little bit before this. <laughs> and you and you see the generic logo. It's like a black background because everything is black. Nothing's really clear. And then you've got the bridge. And you, so yeah, that's the it. so that's the motive behind the journey. But anyway, so. Going back to the show, what I did as a presenter again, he said, you can call it What's Ed? <laughs> so I said, okay. So it was near enough similar to what I wanted, but it wasn't completely what I wanted. And then obviously there was elements there that I could have used for, you know, and I think I well, don't mind as a Satan in saying this because everyone agreed with me when I suggested the idea. There was a morning show, which was the main program. Now, it used to be known as Good Morning, and the area was known as Penrith because that's where it was based. It was in Penrith. And then, because it got rebranded, the radio station, to Coast FM, I said, what about calling the main program Coast to Coast? Because we were safe side of the coast. So we was in the middle. There's the North Coast, the South Coast. And I said, cool, it's coast to coast. And they said, me. And I said, yeah, it was used on, and I don't mind saying it, it was used on the mainstream radio show. But because of corporate rules by that main radio station, uh, corporate, corporate, yeah. It had to change to a generic The Breakfast Show. It couldn't be known as coast to coast anymore. And I said, they can't use it now. So why can't we? We're in, you know, Coast FM. Why can't we call yeah. our main show Coast to Coast? And they thought about it. And then the launch came along and they said, this is what our program's going to be called, known as. And they actually went with Coast to Coast. So I felt that little percentage of my saying, I'd like the idea for Coast to Coast out there, for that show. That to... validation. That's that's good. They, yeah, I, I, that we're kindred spirits, I think, you and I. You know, yeah. they, they, that passion, that drive i mean if you really believe in something man even if you have 10 followers those 10 followers are going to be rabid yeah i would take 10 people who are impassioned than a million just passive ones but because obviously as i was saying going back to the why i got into interviews at the beginning they didn't want me to interview anyone i think they were too scared to let me lose because obviously they didn't know i know it's internet based and i will admit this and i'll make sure i put the e at it on the bottom of this when i upload it as auto but the fact was when i did a show once and i think it was my very first show the news wasn't live it was pre-recorded so it was recorded as live and i was doing my first ever radio show this was me covering for someone and they didn't have the newsreader that day and I said, I don't mind reading the news. And they said, okay. They didn't mind at the time. And I read um, read the news. There was a couple of words I stumbled on, which I kept in. And the two-minute news bulletin turned into a six-minute news bulletin. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, um, 
and it's always a thing that always makes me laugh. When it came to the weather, because I even read the weather for that day, it wasn't intermittent showers, it was intimate showers. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. So Those little flubs, man. It gives your show character. Intimate but show. that news bulletin went up because it was pre-recorded. It went from eight o'clock in the morning right through to eight, you know, ten o'clock at night. Oh, Every hour. Intimate hour. They didn't tell me, oh, you messed up. You got to redo it. It went out the old day. They didn't catch it. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and then um I definitely got pretty E on this. Um there was a song that someone asked for because I always used to ask for song requests. This was before I did interviews. And they said, We want a song by For Darkness, which is a British band. Oh yeah, uh, they're great. No, I think I think it was a darkness. And they said, Can you put this song on? And I said, okay, they show you sure you can play it? I said, yeah, I didn't look into it because obviously we wasn't covered by Ofcom or anything at the time because obviously oh, being yeah, on, because yeah. you was on the internet, you could per se play anything. And I said, yeah. So I put the song on because we did have it in the system, which I don't know how it got into the system, but the early system was like over 50,000 music tracks. And I was like, okay. And I played it. And the words were, shut your face, you motherfucker. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I actually played that on the air. Oh, man. <laughs> and obviously yeah. not being on FM, I didn't realise it. It was on the internet. And I had a message back from that person. And he said, you know, and I said, yeah, <laughs> I know. And I've, I've had my, my instances and like I, that before. And... I mentioned it the next day because they said, how did you feel your first show went as a cover? You know, because they didn't mind. <laughs> and I was like, it was good. But I made a blooper. They said, what was that? Because I had to admit it. I couldn't deny it. Just, oh, in case anyone, just in case anyone came to and complained to the station, I had to justify it. And I said, there is a song in the system. Out of all that 50,000 tracks, there's this song. And it's got motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I do the weather, next time I do that, I'm going to say intimate showers on purpose. Yeah. For you. <laughs> yeah, but not intimate. So anyway, so <laughs> I was I was allowed on there, you know, that was the days where internet radio was okay. It was acceptable, you know, it's relaxed. It wasn't stressful. And then going into interviews, I had the lunchtime show on the Monday and part of it was talking to guests about, you know, their fence, like what's on the fence, hence the name, what's ahead. And the interview started off innocently where I was interviewing companies, interview, you know, I was allowed to interview people and I just took off from interviewing people there. And then the opportunity to came up to interview Malcolm. Now I couldn't obviously say, oh, Malcolm, we want to talk about what I saw in the computer because it wasn't about that. <laughs> It yeah, was a, like, let's not mention that. <laughs> but it was about his childhood. So was so, his was his long term memory still pretty good? It was, and I'll show you the um link for YouTube because it went on to YouTube, and I'm going to try and snag the audio to make a memory of it on the, my podcast series because per se it's mine, even though it's. But I'll show you the link, and you'll see how I was back then compared to now but the fact was and it was just so enlightening 
the only blooper I would say is Malcolm, tell me your name and but and he says and he said, I'm oh, Malcolm Lawrence. I'm not like, oh okay, I said already said Malcolm Lawrence your name, but I was like, that's a small mistake, but it still went as it was. Yeah. And it's, it, I, I like those little moments, those little flips. I, I tend to not edit those, actually. because Yeah, and that's why I keep these edits characters. fresh, because I want to keep it fresh. I want to make it sound natural. I don't want to make it sound like David uh, said this, but you can, I want to keep it David said this. I want to keep it natural. You're risking being seen, which is one of my major things. So you have the mark, the mark of success on your forehead, not being afraid to be seen in not only your greatness but you know the the chips and cracks too that's what that's and, what I, th and I think that's what makes radio shows like howard and i will say howard stern because he is one of the biggest popular radio shows and podcast host ever oh yeah but big influence it, on me it sure. makes it it makes him popular because of how he is it's like there's a radio show host in england He's been following forever. He's called James Rail. Now, I grew up as a kid watching him late night at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, being very opinionated, effing and jeffing, didn't care what he <laughs> thought. Now, he's still not as bad as effing jeffing now, but he's still strong minded. Now, yeah, he was my, now, he was one of my inspirations because I thought. He could say pretty much, and he even was on, yeah, had his own TV show as well, and he was on TV, and he made this big stunt, and he I, if he ever listens, I know he won't mind me saying this, but he did this stunt <laughs> where he had enough of a guest once, and he just walked out for his show. That's awesome. <laughs> Rockstar, I like live, live on TV. He live on walked, the air. He walked right out. Now, we found out later, yeah, and it says, he says in his autobiography, which I've got a brilliant book. He says, I did that because it was publicity. Yeah. So he was off TV. He took himself off for about three, four weeks, but he didn't care. That's cool. Like, the it, yeah, that's that rock star mentality, you know, like Howard Stern. He was told, your voice is terrible. We don't like your attitude. He kept, he's uh, accumulated more FCC fines than any DJ in history, but the reason why I think he's so successful is because he knew what he wanted to do. He didn't care what anybody thought. And he just had that tenacity. He did not give up no matter what. And if you're doing something that you're passionate about, there is no giving up. You know, you're going to lull and you need to learn to bob and weave, you know. But when you're doing something you're passionate about, there really is no giving up at all. You just you keep trying because you enjoy doing it. Like I, I know a lot of people are stuck in when people say they're stuck at their day jobs, you see a lot of motivational speakers and stuff being like, oh, there's no such thing as stuck. I get it. Yeah, you could be stuck in a job. But, you know, my advice to them is get so good at your job, if you hate it, get so good at your job that it requires zero mental effort, zero to where you can go to where your mind needs to go and have that place of work not own you you need to be able to go home and do whatever the hell you want to mm. do and what you're passionate about like uh you know my my work stuff is off camera you can't see it but all night this is what i do i work in a telemarketing day job with an insurance company and with one hand i'm typing back here talking to a customer and i'm doing all the back-end business stuff right here at the same time 
That's my advice I give people is to get so good at your job that it requires zero mental effort. Man, don't let them crush you like that. Do what you want to do, what you're passionate about. There is no failing if you do that. Yeah, and, you know, I commend the people that has influenced me over the years. Like I said, James Well, he's influenced me. And sadly, he's got terminal cancer. He's still broadcasting, but he's got terminal cancer, and he still fights to, you know, carry on. And I think he'll do that to the bitter end. You know, it's kind of like uh, Don Imus here in the States. He's one of those old radio guys, and same thing, full-blown sickness, and he was still going. At one point, he went on the radio with one of those oxygen tubes in his nose, still going. It was amazing. <laughs> and, then, and then you go into the modern-day present uh, we don't say disc jockeys anymore because that's the political incorrect but you can still say shock shock <laughs> but the next you know person i've been following for a while not in the early early days of their careers but since the podcast has been going around there's a, another radio presenter called chris moyles now he's opinionated he's from england as well and yeah, he's opinionated. He had, he was working for the corporate radio station and he got fired. He got fired from several radio stations because he was too strong-minded in how he approached things. But, yeah, at the, yeah. but at the corporate radio station, and it does say in this Wikipedia page because obviously it says controversies, but it says one of his controversies was calling a female, and I'm not going to get it up on you know my phone to read, but... He slagged off one of his female listeners who called in. And then he was very opinionated about several other things. And he was very sexist. He was very anti, and as, as you say, anti, you know, LGBTQ. But that's what made him popular. And yeah, he lost his job eventually at the corporate radio station. He took a few years out and now he's back on the air and i listen to his podcast again but and he's toned down he's relaxed but i still always remember him as chris moyles and i know he won't listen to this but he's always said it himself he's always been the fat bloke from leeds the fat bloke from leeds i like that so where where are you from in england like where where do you where you live at originally Cornwall. oh okay uh, do you, bottom, I, I dated but... a girl from somerset well, Somerset, Cornwall, two counties up from Cornwall. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I, uh, so I had a bit of a fling with a girl from Somerset for a while. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Leeds, you know, that's in Yorkshire. I don't want to go into the American somehow. You say Shire, but basically, you're from the north. I know. I, I'm sorry. I say Shire, but I know you guys say sure. I, I'm, I'm trying to do it correctly. I promise. Because now. <laughs> I have listeners, you know, from all over the world. So I had to train myself, like when I'm talking about measurements or I'm talking about, you know, I have to say meters. And uh, I, I started, I've, I've been noticing on the past few episodes, I'm I'm doing the sure, I promise. But <laughs> it's like it. you, it's like Americans say cell phone, but it's mobile phone. Mobile phone. So how do you say, I, I can't even say it correctly. How do you say Worcestershire sauce? Worcester, sure. Worcester? Yeah, Worcester. Worcester. Is that the, that's the correct pronunciation, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and it's also a little area of England that 
you know, it's nice. It area, yeah, that's where it hails from. Um, man, see, uh, Americans were all screwed up. <laughs> yeah. So going back to what I was saying, Chris Moyles, he was fat back in the day. So he was the fat, drunken bloke from Leeds and who smoked, and he still smokes, but he was the fat bloke from Leeds. And that's how he, you know, he people perceived him. And that's how the media perceived him. And I, I saw beyond that, I thought, yeah, he's got opinions, who doesn't? But at the same time, he's still a human being. And in later life, nowadays, he's lost his rage. You know, he's not no longer the fat bloke from Leeds. He's actually toned down quite nicely, if I were to look at it from that he's, point he's of view. He's the skinny chap from Leeds now. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason he's like that is because he's always been self-aware of his body image. He suffers from anxiety. He suffers from body dysmorphia. So... That's a big thing too, is is recognizing. But that. yeah, but also, he wasn't quick to admit he liked to drink, and he was a big drinker. He still smokes, but I don't know if he smokes as much as he did. But he still smokes, but he he still drinks now. But his body image is totally different from what it was twenty years ago. Yeah, that's one thing that I, excuse me, that's one thing I love about. <laughs> it's a common thing to give the next generation crap, you know, but one thing that I love that this most recent growing generation has done is the body positivity movement. I love that. That's one mm -hmm. of the great, the best things that society has ever come up with because now it's morphed into everything else. It's okay for a man to seek mental treatment now. It's okay for a guy like me who suffers from gynecomastia to not have to wear tight overshirts and stuff like that. You know, the, the, we're all beautiful. And I just love how this new generation has embraced that, the body positivity movement. I, 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 I adore it. So obviously you've heard about my career and I don't mind talking about it because I always say to my guests that my journey is much as your journey because it helps the guests relate more when they can hear that I've got a personal story to tell. Oh, yeah. Well, going into the future, where would you see yourself going? Um, alive, <laughs> alive, and still enjoying with with any luck. Uh, I'm still going to be doing this. I'm always looking for ways to find out where the next wave is, the next thing that's going to propel you know my little business upwards and make it to where i still have my dreams even though i've accomplished so many my whys are much higher now um i like to set them as unreachable summits things that you <laughs> my whys i will never reach not in a million years but that's a good thing because i'll always keep looking upward if i set a goal that's impossibly unattainable then i'll keep going so i, I think just more of that i will just keep dragging for that summit you know until uh <laughs> until the good lord finally decides okay your time's up man mm. so obviously and not having to do the day job anymore that's a, <laughs> that's a goal yeah <laughs> so rev can people get hold of you or find you for if they want to get hold of you or follow you or anything well, the hub for everything is Asylum817.com. It's all together, Asylum817.com. That's where you'll see 
the books, the YouTube stuff, the Instagrams, the paintings, and all that jazz. It's all under one website. And the podcasts are there, too. Okay. One last bit of advice. What would you say to future people listening to this? What advice would you give them for positive way of thinking? Get out while you can. Nothing but crazies here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the best <laughs> advice that I can give them is if people are telling you that something should not be done, that's a sign to move into it. If you're being discouraged by the people who find self-worth in likes and follows and promotions and raises and bosses that don't give a damn about them, uh, don't give a damn about their families, their schedules, their children, if they find validation in that and they're telling you maybe you shouldn't go this route, the people whose dreams are crushed and you can see those frown lines there from 30 years of doing the same sh stuff. Sorry. Um, I almost cursed there, but you could have. <laughs> <laughs> once they tell you that you shouldn't go down that path, my greatest piece of advice is that is the sign that tells you, yeah, that's exactly where you should go. Billy Dean. Oh, Billy. I don't know which one it is. Is it Billy Dean? <laughs> uh, Billy's fine. Billy. Yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> I know, fine. but I'm just going out at sea. But thank you for sharing your journey and listening to my little anecdotes of tales. But thank you for sharing your journey with us today. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. That was The Journey, hosted by Wise Words Imaging, hosted by David Hackett. Be sure to like, subscribe and listen to another journey coming soon.